0: And I just want to, I want to touch on calling, and then I want to move into a very significant scripture that the Lord called us to Peter Marisburg with. Friedrich Buchner said, "Calling is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. Where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need." I I want to just... I mean, it goes on there. What's deep gladness? It's the lifeblood of a person, the song that a heart longs to sing, the race that his legs were born to run. And there's often an emphasis when we talk about this, you know, your passion, your deep gladness, on the song you have to sing, the race you were made to run. But folks... It says where your deep gladness is the world's deep need. You know, folks, often you will discover your deep gladness as you see the deep need. As you see the deep need. You may, for example, absolutely love whatever, sketching sunsets. And That's what you want to do for the rest of your life. But is there a deep need? Are people going to able to give you their hard earned income for your sketches. To match your deep gladness with the world's deep need is so important. So often people just don't get that quite right. You know what is work? People are willing to exchange finances for your gifting, your talents, your abilities. I've done a lot of counseling with young people regarding careers and study directions. And let me tell you, my children in particular, one of the things I've said, make sure that what you are being trained in is a vocation that is needed in our society today. That people are willing to say, I am willing To pay you to bring that service into my life. It's such an important connection where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. Benjamin Honeycutt, funny surname, is a historian who specializes in the history of the work, sorry, the history of work at the University of Iowa. He notes that work has become our new religion, where we worship and give our time. As people's commitment to family, community, and faith are shrinking, they begin to look to their careers to provide them with meaning, connectedness, identity, and esteem. Folks, it's important that we realize that calling and work or career may not be the same thing. I pray that it is. I pray for every believer that there is such an overlap. Let me tell you, I studied soul engineering at university. When I signed up to study, I was not serving God. So in matric, I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I applied to study civil engineering and I got in miraculously. At the end of my first year, I recommended my heart to the Lord and I immediately started to wonder, is this your will? I hadn't asked God in my matric year if this was his will. I just thought, I can tell you all my thinking in my head, but it was my thinking. It wasn't, I wasn't taking it to God. And when I read in my second year and third year and fourth year of studies, I really wrestled with God. I'm in this this track of studies to become a civil engineer. Is this your will? My final year of studies, I got such a strong prophetic word about God wanting to use, use me in engineering. It brought such peace because it was just before final exams. And I was struggling with motivation to study because I was like, If I know this is God's will, I'm I'm sold out to these studies. I'll study anything if I know this is God's will. But I was wrestling with it. God confirmed to me that He had led me that I was in His will. And I worked for nearly 10 years as as an engineer, registered as a professional engineer. And I knew, I knew that for that season of my life. Somebody asked me a little while ago, they said, do you have any regrets about working for 10 years as an engineer. You've been a pastor now. Folks, listen, in August, August this year, was 20 years since we ordained in full-time ministry in August. I I had thought of maybe you do a celebration, but I I don't know how you do that. (laughs) But in August 2002, we were ordained in full-time ministry. We had been in full-time ministry actually before, but we were ordained in. People asked me, have you got regrets about your vocation? There was nine years and a half years in engineering. Now more than 20 years in ministry. And I said no. I said because when I was working as an engineer, I believed that was God's will for my life, for that season of my life. I had no regrets. I don't regret being in the ministry then and vice versa. And And I pray for all of us that... That there's a strong overlap between a sense of calling and your vocation. That That your vocation isn't just a job. That it's not just a paycheck. And folks, listen. I do not despise the fact that God has provided a job and you're able to put food on the table for your family because of your job. Do not despise that. But to go from it's just a paycheck to a sense of, this is where God wants me. He opened the doors for me to work in this office with these people to bring heaven into their lives that they may get a glimpse of what God is truly like. To know that is takes your job from a job to a calling. That office is mine. That is my metron. Those people, that's my mission field. Some people go to South America for the mission field. I go to my office. Amen. It's so important you wrestle with God. I wrestled with God about engineering for about three years. So I know calling is not wake up one day, God said, you know, you know this, I'm cool. You know, there are some things that God just freely gives to us and some things we've got to go after. And I want to say, sometimes calling is something you've got to go after. Some things are just grace and some things God says, are you, are you going to yearn for it? Are you going to go after it? A calling is something I do for God. A career can become my God. Now, what I'm highlighting in this in, the, in, in this, this area is a career cannot be a calling, could not be a calling. I pray for every one of you it is, that you sense this is where God wants you to be. A career is something I can choose myself. I chose someone enjoying myself. In hindsight, I know God is sovereign and He was leading me in all my thinking and deliberations about what to study. But I was not seeking God for His will for my life. A career is something I can choose for myself. A calling is something I receive from God. A career is something I can do for myself. A calling is something I do for God and His glory. A career can promise status, money, or power. Big three. Status, money, or power. A calling often involves difficulty and even suffering. You know they say when the, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. I'm not telling you, calling separates the, the men from the boys. If you're just going after status, money, or power, when you get tough, you're out of there. Let me tell you, 17 years being here building this church. (laughs) Ha ha. If you got some time one day, I can tell you some of the difficulties and suffering we've gone through. Make sure you got lots of coffee. But the opportunity to be used by God for heaven to come to earth. Read that again. A calling often involves difficulty and even suffering, but a calling gives us the opportunity to be used by God for heaven to come to earth or that His kingdom is advanced. Folks, I believe a calling is priceless. And you know, often the value of a calling is related to the price you pay. Anything, anything, the value is determined by the price you pay for it. In Cape Town, we are just Come on the staff full-time, uh, getting a salary again after not getting a salary for quite a while, literally living by faith with a family of four. And after a long time, we had bought, when I was an engineer in in, in Port Elizabeth, we got a housing subsidy, so we bought a little house. We'd sold it to move to Cape Town to go into ministry. After a long time, we went in our full-time ministry, and we were able to buy a house using the house we had as a deposit. Long story, I can, lots of coffee stories there as well. God's providence in it all. We'd been in this house in Cape Town for six months. I just said to Jen, you know, love, I think we could stay in Cape Town. I think we could stay here for, for at least the next 20 years. I remember saying that. Two weeks later, I was in East London helping my friend Pastor Nigel with a victory training. And it's there that the Lord's just highlighted Peter Maritzburg to us. He highlighted it to me in terms of a need. Remember I said where where, where your passion meets your need, is important, meets a need is important. And I was just walking in the forest that Saturday evening and I was thinking about South Africa and I was like, we have a passion to plant churches with one foot in the campus and one foot in the community. Why don't we have a church in Peter Maritzburg? I knew there's a major university campus here. That's the need. The need was Is there a church that doesn't just absorb students into the life of the local church, but is committed to put workers onto the campus, and Amu said, Amen, and everybody said, Thank God for Amu, where we actually go onto campus, and we actually reach students on campus, not just welcome students who happen to walk down the street. I mean, if you're a student, walk down the street, you're welcome. But let me tell you, we have a passion to actually go onto the campus. And I told my friend Nigel, he said, he said let's go. He got in his car. we drove up on that Monday from East London to, to in Amherstburg. And that's what we were looking for. We were looking, are there churches that are actually going on to the campus? One foot in the community, one foot in the campus. And we couldn't identify that. And I was like, there's a need in the city. And it was through the need that God got my attention. We were staying in a little B&B here in town. And the next morning... I woke up early, and I had, it was like 5 a.m. For some of you, that's not early. For me, it's early. And I woke up at 5 a.m. It was the middle of winter in Maritzburg, okay? It was like June. It was cold for us from the the coast. And I had a very vivid dream, and I went to the little lounge, and I was just praying by myself. And I was crying, I was saying, God, I see the need, but are you calling us to fulfill this need? And as I was praying, I was praying in the Spirit, I was praying in the Spirit, I sensed the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, come, one word, come, and I to, it was, folks, it was, I cannot discern if I heard it, saw it, felt it, or, or just knew it. I just discerned, and I, and I want to say, sometimes hearing from God is not exact science. I just sensed, that's the best word, I sensed the word come. It, it wasn't audible. It wasn't on, written on the wall. I just, and I was like, God, I need to know if this is from you. We have just taken a long time to get settled. We've just bought a house in Cape Town. This is going to be a huge disruption and uprooting in our lives. If you're saying come to Peter Madsburg to plant a church with that heart, I'm in. But you need to confirm this, please. And I was praying, and I sensed, I just sensed, and again, it was just God. The story of where Peter walked on the water. I looked in my Bible, I found it, Matthew 14, and I read those the story. And I read the point where, where Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says one word in red letters, come. Oh my goodness, when I read those words, I was like, oh Lord. It's exactly the word you're speaking to me by your spirit I'm seeing it I had to then first conviction was Lord if we don't do this we're moving into the realm of disobedience and Adam folks was it easy to uproot in Cape Town no was it easy to move yeah no we didn't know anybody in Peter Maritzburg. But folks, I'm so glad I didn't stay in Cape Town with a gnawing conviction that I'm not God's will. And I want to I wanna read the scripture to you. And this is the scripture, and, and the title of my message is actually getting out of the boat. Because you know, folks, <laughs> if you get, don't get out of the boat, you don't walk. Water. you've actually got to get your foot over the edge of the boat and you've got to get it wet how many are saying i don't like to wet my feet okay i like warm dry feet the water could be cold yeah okay and the water could not hold me yeah okay absolutely but if you don't get out the boat you don't walk on water peter is the only person we know um in the Bible that walked on water. There have been others. Meltari in the Indonesian outpouring, there was a group of them. They walked over a flooded river. They walked right across. The Hindu the Hindu uh, sort of priest saw that, and also tried it, and nearly drowned. Put his foot in and he just fell straight out. <laughs> he was like, how do they do it? Well, they read Matthew 14. So let's read it and then I'll pick it up getting out of the boat. Matthew 14, verse 22. The whole story goes to 233. We'll pick it up. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. I was actually struck by the story, these these 11 verses. The word immediately occurs three times. Folks, what's, what's happened to Cynthia is I believe, and immediately from God, or the suddenlys from God. You know, sometimes it seems like nothing's happening. For six years, Cynthia has been saying, "Lord, is it time? If so, where?" Suddenly, within three weeks, Bob, well, she has a suddenly, she has an immediate. While he dismissed the crowd, folks, there were. We know the Bible says he fed five thousand. That's a lot of people. Who knows the needs and demands and prayer requests Jesus would have had? I want to submit to you dismissing those people may not have been the easiest thing in the world to do, but I want you to see my Jesus serving. This is the job the disciples nearly usually did. My Jesus is serving. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. You just look in the previous chapter what had happened. John the Baptist had been murdered by King Herod. John the Baptist was his cousin. Folks, have you thought of the impact, Jesus being 100% human and 100% God? Folks, how are you impacted when you hear a close family member has passed away? How would it impact you if you heard your close family member had been murdered? How much more if you heard that they were murdered because of their faith. And how much more when you know that you were going to a cross, you were going to face that same fate. I want to submit to you, I totally understand that Jesus wanted to go to a mountainside and pray. He, do you also kind of get the picture here? When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Buffeted by the waves. The Bible speaks, buffeted means, so they, it's a sailing boat, and they are trying to get to the other side, and wind is important, okay? They also did have oars on these boats, etc. But they are struggling because the wind is against them. Okay, now again, folks, Jesus told them, go to the other side, and now they've got wind against them. How many of you are like, you know, if Jesus tells me to do something, it's going to be easy. The wind's going to be behind me. It's going to be plain sailing. <laughs> you sometimes feel the wind's against me. God, Jesus told me to go this way. Folks, it could be that you are in the center of God's will. We're going to see what happens. Jesus knew that this miracle was going to happen. Jesus knew this miracle would be told yeah. And I've told this story often, and I'm hoping to pick up on a couple of different points. I also want you to highlight that. And I've, I've said this before. It's there, are waves. There's wind, and it's in this context, wind, waves, that Jesus tells Peter to get out of the boat. He doesn't tell Peter to get out. To 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 to. He doesn't first calm the storm, calm the wind, calm the waves, and then say, okay, Pete. Now listen. I know you're a novice at this water walking thing. You know, let's try flat, calm water. There's waves and wind. I mean. I, I I used to joke about, you know, Jesus didn't say to Pete when he was on the land, you know, walking along, there's a puddle, okay? Pete, you need some puddle practice. We're going out there in the wind and the waves, you know? Folks, sometimes God asks you to do things, and it's like, this doesn't look ideal. This can be real for us. Because the Lord gave me this scripture that morning when Peter we went back to Cape Town, and I shared with our pastor, Pastor Gareth. Instead, I shared with him what God had spoken to us about Peter Maritzburg. Now, bearing in mind, we had just come on staff like two years earlier. Yeah, this was 2004. 2002, Three years. We'd been on staff there three years. Ordained in 2002. I share with him that we're feeling God's calling us to Peter Maritzburg. And listen, folks, this was our heart. I said to Jen, we are going to submit this calling to our elders. I was together with a senior pastor. There was a team of elders. I was on the eldership team of the church. If there is not a witness, if they don't send us, I'm not going. I am not going to be like, uh, you know, the. Um, I'm not going to demand my inheritance and say, I. God said, I don't care what you say. You know, that big rebellious, prideful attitude. I've got a calling from God, and I'm going to make it happen to hang with the rest of you. You know that arrogant, proud... Sometimes people get a call from God, and it goes to their head, and you can do nothing with them. They are going to do their ministry their way, no matter what. I said to Jen, God has called us, but He needs to speak to our pastor. He needs to speak to the elders. We want their blessing. I covered the blessing of the men and women of God that that God has called to work with us. I said to Jen, we are not getting out of the boat. We used the analogy, this analogy in Cape Town. I said, I'm not getting out of the boat of Cape Town, of being on staff in Cape Town without them sending us, without a confirmation from them. So this was June. Nothing July, nothing August. When I say nothing, I've shared it with him, I've left it with him. He doesn't bring it up in a pastor's meeting, a staff meeting, nothing. August, September, October, November. And you hear the song. Yeah, I'm going to sing the song. Nothing, folks. It's going on six months. God called us. I told my pastor. Nothing. What do you do in those circumstances? You pray and you trust God. I said, I'm not going to go and talk to Gareth and tell him, hey, you know, I said this, you know, get with the program. Why aren't you listening to God? That kind of arrogant, prideful attitude. One morning in November, Jenny was reading the story again. And she said to me, she highlighted the storm. She said, Honey, did you notice that Jesus called Peter to get out of the boat in the middle of the storm? Jesus didn't first calm the storm in the middle of the storm. Our church in Captain was going through a really rough time. We were using the the, the, the metaphor of the storm, it's stormy, etc. You know, in the natural, it wasn't a good time, the perfect time, to send a pastor out with a team to come church planting. Because we were going through trials and tribulations in Cape Town. And Jenny said to me, she said, honey, I believe God's going to send us in the middle of the storm we're going through now. Because I'd kind of thought, and we'd kind of thought, well, maybe Gareth's waiting for, you know, to sort out all the troubles and things we were sorting out as a church. So that morning, in a quiet time, Jenny reads this. She shares it with me. I go into the pastor's meeting without any, so, anything, saying anything to me. Pastor Gareth, in the, we, we're we going through our agenda, talking about various things. He suddenly turns to me and he says, "Jock, I'd like you to share with the other pastors what God spoke to you about. Peter and I like, what? Folks, when the Lord speaks to your wife, just listen. Okay? So I shared with him. And the elders said, in the beginning of the year, we always fast and pray. They said, in the time of fasting and prayer, we are going to trust God to show us, confirm if this is the time to send you. So, then, we're now going on now to January. Prayed, and in January, there was confirmation, yes, this is from God. Now, <laughs> when you're going, we're now in 2005. We eventually sent in August 2005, more than a year later, after we first... Got a word from God. We moved here and we started a connect group in our home. And then on the 2nd of October, we started first service in our home with that group of people that I showed you there. And I'm telling you this because the Bible says the boat was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Don't think you need the perfect circumstances in your life to go to get out of the boat and do what God's called you to do. Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately, folks, this is the second immediately here, immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Folks, I want to submit to you, fear is not from God. If you are experiencing fear, come to God. God will dispel your fears. Peter didn't get out of the boat because he was scared. Jesus dispelled his fears, spoke to him. I believe he was in faith. And will Jesus said, he was in faith when he took his foot out of the boat. Don't get out of the boat because you're in fear. What does that look like? You know, I was amazed at how many pastors... They'll call to America in the early 1990s when South Africa was going through hectic violence and you know just turmoil trying to you know the birth pangs of the of the new South Africa and I I'm not going to judge any man but I just want to say don't get out of your boat when you're in fear if you have faith Cynthia is doing this not because she is scared about South Africa and xenophobia and wada wada wada. She believes this is God. Amen? Don't get out of your boat based on fear. I'm just going to warn you. You may just think. Okay? Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. There's that word that I read. Okay, I should have put it in red for you. Come. Folks, one word from God can change your life. We've been here for 17 years, you know. 17 years, and 18 years, and probably two weeks ago, 18 years and two weeks. I'd say to Jen, I'm happy to stay in Cape Town for the next 20 years. I never knew we would be in Peter Maritzburg. Praise God, we're in Peter Maritzburg. I, I I do say that honestly. if God pulled us back to Cape Town. He'd have to speak louder than he did to get us here. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Walked on the water and came towards Jesus. He walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. I want to highlight two things. His focus was on Jesus. At this point, when he put his foot out the boat, his focus was on Jesus. What was ringing in his soul was Jesus was calling me. What Jesus said in verse 20, 28, he said, Peter said, Tell me to come to you on the water. His focus was on Jesus, not the water not walking on the water not being the second people in the person in the history of the world to walk on water not to get in the guinness book of records his heart was Jesus he was looking at Jesus he said Jesus you I want to be with you I'll tell me to come to you and by the way we do miracles of walking on water as we focus on Jesus you know in following Jesus we heal the sick we cast out demons you know we drink poison and we don't die we pick up serpents all the miraculous stuff. but we eyes on Jesus amen Always our eyes on Jesus. And we can see, we know he sinks. And why? He took his eyes off Jesus. 2019, um, the Every Nation, every three years there's an Every Nation World Conference. 2019, it was in, in America. And Pastor Steve Murrell, who is the president of Every Nation Churches and Ministries, um, he spoke there. And he shared a word about a salt cellar. And it was taken from a book that his son had given him that he'd read about a guy who was, who was starting a restaurant in New York. And this was when he was just getting going. He'd, he'd been going with this restaurant for a few months or a few years even, but he was struggling to get the restaurant going. Now, the end of the story is today he's a very successful restauranteur, opened multiple restaurants, different kind of restaurants all over New York. It worked out. But there was a moment where he was considering throwing in the towel and giving up on this restaurant business. And Steve Merrill told this story at the World Conference in 2019. And, and it is, it, it's relevant. I'll show you the relevance. And so this restauranteur found a mentor and, and, and asked him, please come. I'm really struggling. This restaurant business is going nowhere. I'm struggling, issues with the staff and whatever. The guy came to him and they sat at the table in his restaurant. And on the table, there were, you know, various things. And what the guy did, he took everything off the table and he put a salt cellar in the middle of the table. And, and uh, he, he then said to the guy, as they were talking, he said, I want you to move, he said, I'm going to move the salt cellar to the edge of the table. I want you to put it in the middle. I want you to keep the salt cellar in the middle. So as they were talking and everything, every now and then the old guy would move it to the side. And they go, oh yeah, and he move it to the middle again. And they're talking about the business, and they're telling all about his problems, and this chef, and that waitress, and you know, all his problems. And every now and then, move to the side, and he'd have to move it to the middle, move it to the middle, move it to the middle. After a while, he's like, why are you doing this? What's the point of this? You're not listening to me. You're getting distracted by the salt cell. I want to throw the salt cell out the window, whatever. He's getting a bit, he says, you don't understand. Your main job, as the owner of this restaurant, is to keep the salt cell in the middle. Is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is this restaurant about? You're a specialty burger joint. Focus on the main thing. You do specialty burgers. And when people come and ask for calamari, you say, would you like that with a sesame seed roll or a, you know... It's burgers that you do. And when the chef says, Wada, 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 can I try this? It's a burger joint. And when your supplier says, I've got a special on calamari, you say, It's a burger joint. Your job is to bring, keep the main thing of this restaurant the main thing. Steve Muller was saying, What's our main thing? Jesus is at the center of every single, every nation church on this planet. He always will. He always needs to be. And we will never move Jesus from the center. Peter walked on the water. The miracle happened because he was looking at Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He was on a journey towards Jesus. That's how the miracle happened. If he focused on the miracle, I want to submit to you, the miracle may not have happened. He was focused on Jesus. Jesus did the miracle of him walking on the water. Folks, I want miracles. I love miracles. But it's to glorify Jesus. That people may know Jesus. Amen. That they meet Jesus. He's the healer, not me. Amen. Can we keep Jesus at the center? I look at this twice. Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. It wasn't about we. He walked on the water. We're amazing. And we think about how did he walk on the water. You know, I kind of, have you you, you thought about it? You know, put his sandal out there. Did his feet really get wet? Was the water... Sandal. and then have you also wondered this I mean there are waves, we know there are waves did foot move up and down as the waves came over, have you thought about that it's not actually about that it's about Jesus, it's about I want to be with Jesus and I don't really know what's happening with my feet and I don't know how this is happening I don't know if there are angels holding me up or who knows, maybe you know angels were just freezing the water under his feet at that moment, There's thousands I've heard thousands of experts. it doesn't it's Jesus folks I don't know how Jesus heals people. I don't know how He provides miraculous for you and me. Week after week, I've, I did the analogy of, or the comparison of how many tons of food you and I eat in a year. I mean, how does Jesus get all that food to you and me? It's a miracle. But if we focus on Jesus, miracles happen. Amen? The point of this, Come, He said, then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Let's keep the salt cell in the middle. As an every-nation church, we endeavor to honor God by planting Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. That's our mission statement as every nation church. Amen? Christ-centered. Jesus. Our focus on Jesus. The Bible. The focus of the Bible is on Jesus. Amen? Can we have the same focus? But let's go on. You know, I never used to like... Um, well, that's the main point that we've just made. Then. I never used to like this part. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me immediately. Ha, ah, Cynthia, there's your immediate. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Folks, the end result is Jesus got the glory. Amen. That's beautiful. That is amazing. I never used to like the part that he sank, amen. But it says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Folks, the previous verses remember when he was looking at Jesus, he was walking in the water. When he looked at the wind, what does it say He was afraid? Folks, when you look at your storms in your life, when your focus is on your storm, when you focus on that employee, that contract, that business deal, that is, but if you can focus on Jesus and say, Lord, I'm looking with your eyes at this contract. I'm looking at your eyes with this at this relationship that's gone shaped. It makes a big difference. We began to sink and cried out, Lord, save. Isn't it beautiful? Even when he wasn't looking at Jesus, he cried to Jesus. Jesus still saved him. Jesus didn't say, Oh, yeah, you know, you're looking elsewhere. You know, let's see how good you can swim in the storm. Jesus still saved him. Even if we get distracted, Jesus immediately, third time immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him, You have little faith. He said, Why did you doubt? The doubting came simply. It's such a simple story because he looked at the wind. If you look at the problems, we often get overwhelmed. If we look at Jesus, we have faith. Miracles happen when we look at Jesus. Amen. Can we close in prayer? Folks, if you're sitting here and you are you just you just have the conviction that you are not wholly devoted to Jesus. You may have been in some stage in your life. But right now you know you are not wholly devoted to Jesus. You've been distracted by all kinds of waves and wind and, and whatever. You are struggling to believe. You maybe just be honest and say, I'm, I'm 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 doubting right now. But I don't want to live in fear and doubt, folks. You notice in scripture how fear and doubt go together. When you move into doubt, fear is his friend, is its friend, and it's right there. Fear, anxiety, stress is not how God wants us to know. The key is Jesus. We look to Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. And then we, the wind's still there, the waves are still there, but we walk. Away. We walk. If you hear and you're saying, sure. I need to. I need to refocus on Jesus. Every every eye closed. If there's somebody here and you're saying I need to refocus on Jesus I need to re put my faith in Jesus why don't you just raise your hand I want to pray with you I want to pray this prayer I'm going to pray a prayer and you can let me say I'm going to pray this prayer and you can pray with me see those hands see those hands pray with you I want you to agree with me Lord Jesus forgive us for getting distracted by the wind Lord, wind and waves are real and sometimes they can be really scary. But God, we right now, just pray with me, say, Jesus, right now, I choose to look to You, to put my faith in You, to look above the wind, above the waves. I look to You. I put my faith Total trust in you, Lord. And I walk to you, Lord. And as I walk to you, Lord, I walk over my circumstances. I walk over my waves. Jesus, I am yours. 100%. Fear, go. Doubt, go. I am a believer in Jesus. Peace right now, Lord, to every heart. Jesus, your peace. You are the Prince of Peace. You bring shalom. Lord, as we look to you, I speak peace to every heart. Every heart. I say, storm be still. When Jesus got in the boat, the storm quiet. Jesus, I pray that you would get into our boats. We invite you, Jesus, come into our boats. Storm be stilled. Waves stop. Wind stop in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.da and for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 61 0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Birket Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.